So hear this reading from 1 Samuel 18. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the, Philist- let the Philistines deal with him. So David said to Saul, Who am I? And who are my kinsfolk, my family's father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Saul's daughter Merab should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholahathite, as a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and Saul was told, and the thing pleased him. And Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servant, speak to David in private and say, see, the king is delighted with you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And so Saul's servants reported these words to David in private, and David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, seeing that I'm a poor man and of no repute? And the servants of Saul said to him, this is what David said. And then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no marriage present except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. And now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, David was well pleased to be the king's son-in-law. And before the time had expired, David rose and went along with his men and killed 100 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael as a wife. But when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that Saul's daughter Michael loved him, Saul was still more afraid of David. And so Saul was David's enemy from that time forward. And then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his fame became very great. The word of the Lord. Uh, This is another peculiar relationship story, a very unique, strange one. Um, And so we've got a few characters in the story that we're going to walk with today. The first of which is Saul. To set up this story, Saul should probably have been pretty excited about David because David had just slayed Goliath. And so there had been this army camped against them, and there was a a giant who was taunting them and said, hey, bring your best soldier out. Let's just settle it one-on-one. And everybody was afraid. Nobody wanted to go out there. And David shows up, slays Goliath. He's the underdog. He wins. And then Saul realizes, I don't like that he's getting all of the honor and all of the fame from winning this battle. And so in the story, they're on their way home, and there's already women leaving the city shouting out praises about David. And Saul may be a little bit jealous of, wait, all of these women are out here screaming about David. I kind of like when they scream about me. And He's starting to feel a little bit um, uneasy about the situation. And so in this story, he decides uh, a strategy for handling, how do I get rid of David? And it might seem very strange that I'm going to get rid of David by saying, hey, do you want to be my son-in-law? It's a very weird relationship. Uh, We kind of make some caricatures about the kind of, um, like, uh, like women's father figures and how they treat potential suitors. 
of, uh, you know, do you want to be stern, kind of create fear in this potential, uh, potential boyfriend, potential spouse? And Saul is probably the worst example. Like, he literally wants to have David killed. Uh, he, he is not a pleasant potential father-in-law. David doesn't fully know that or understand that yet. Uh, but what makes Saul even more scary is that he is king, and he can really do just about anything he wants. And so he has the power uh, to create scenarios that would bring David harm. But he's also a little bit afraid about what people are going to say. So he's trying to scheme and manipulate to get his way so that nobody sees what Saul is up to. And so Saul decides, I want to use my power uh, to get rid of David, but I'm going to lure him in. I'm going to bring him close so he thinks I'm on his side, his guard's going to be down. But I'm just going to give him a test. You want to be... uh, my son-in-law, you want to get married to my daughter, here's what you have to do. you got to go off to battle and keep winning battles for me. And he's not that precise about the number in this first go-around in the story, but, hey, go off to war. And if you're victorious, great. You get the prize. And yes, uh, for the ladies in the room, this does not feel fair at all. This feels pretty messed up. Once again, lessons from the worst dating advice in the Bible. <laughs> um, but in this story, the daughter becomes the prize, and the, the mission is to go off into battle. Now, this might seem really diabolical and really ugly and, and evil, and, and yes, you can see all of that, but I also want to remind you that David's going to do some similar stuff later in his life. It's not like this is only a one-way street. Um, when David decides he wants to take a wife and he realizes he needs to get rid of the wife's current husband, he also sends that man off into battle, hoping that he might die. But Saul sets up this test, and his motivation is he's jealous, he wants to to get rid of David. Not exactly the healthiest start to a relationship when your father-in-law wants to kill you. And so David, when we get him in this story, he has his own motivations, when offered this potential thing of, hey, do you want to marry my daughter? Be careful about what David's response is, what's his motivations. In verse 18, David said to Saul, who am I and who are my kinsfolk, my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? Ladies, this probably doesn't sound too exciting that David's not talking about the daughter. He's talking about, well, wouldn't it be pretty cool to be son-in-law to the king? That would be a pretty good honor. Like, And who am I to get this honor to become a part of your family? And so we see David in the story just kind of interested in his reputation and his place of honor and his place of prestige and, and potential power. And so every time we see David in the story, he keeps talking about, who am I to be, be your son-in-law? And there's not really much conversation about uh, the, the women in the story. And so David's motivations aren't super great. And so... David decides, I'm up for this. I'm a nobody. This is a chance to be a somebody, sure. He goes off into battle, and he's victorious. And that's not supposed to happen, according to Saul, which is kind of weird. Saul wants to lose in battle, or at least lose David in battle. Uh, But David is victorious, and the problem in the story comes up that Saul had no intention to marry off his daughter to begin with. He was just trying to get rid of David. And so in this text, it says that at the time when Saul's daughter Merab should have been given to David, she was given to somebody else. Uh, anybody else felt like they've been 
you know, swindled, you didn't get a good deal, you, you thought, okay, if I go through all of these hoops, I'm going to get what, I, what I'm promised. And you put your neck out there, you, you go through something difficult, and you get to the end of it, and there's nothing there. What on earth was all of this for? Uh, I, I always like to joke about um, um, the time that I was tasked to help build a presentation for somebody. Um, they, were, they were doing a presentation at, at Marquette in an engineering class, and they, they heard that I was good with presentations or whatever, and so they asked me if I'd build their PowerPoint for them, build their presentation. They gave me a, you know, 50 slides worth of things about here's what I need, uh, and, and I, I'll pay you, please just do this for me. And you do all this work, and at the end of it, he came into the office and just dropped a candy bar on the desk. And, and this person from a giant company with all this money thought a candy bar was worth all of that work. And I, and I always joke that I never touched that candy bar. I did not eat that candy bar. I did not feel like the right payment for the work provided. And I don't know what David felt when suddenly he's seeing royal announcements Saul's daughter is being married off to this other person. And he's like, he promised me. I've been going off to war. Like, what's going on here? And so I'm sure that created even more tension in a tense relationship that was already there. But there's a change in the story. Another character shows up that changes the dynamics. It says, now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And I think sometimes we might just like read right past that. Like, there's not that many biblical stories where it's like two people who aren't married yet and someone's like, hey, I love this person. Like, that's not thought of as much in the relationships in this kind of story. Right? We're, we're dealing with sometimes kings trying to marry off things for alliances and political power. Um, we're talking about inheritance and, and all sorts of things that aren't what we think about when we talk about marriage and we talk about relationships and, and caring about one another and, and compatibility. Uh, and here we have Michael saying, hey, I love David. And I wonder what that conversation was like, because I don't know how open Saul was. I doubt he was super open about his jealousy and his frustrations with David. But Michael's like, if you're, if you're looking to find a way out of this dilemma that you promised you were going to marry you know, my sister off to him, hey, I love that guy. And so she offers herself out of love. Hey, choose me. And so Saul was told this thing, and a text says, the thing pleased him. Now, if you had your child come to you and say, hey, I love this person. Can I... I want to be with this person. Can I get your blessing? And you were pleased with it. You would think you're pleased because you like the match. You're, oh, so excited that they're in love. But the pleasing in this story is that he's pleased because he says, let me give her to him so that she may be a snare for him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. He still does not care at all about David having a healthy relationship, about him really becoming a part of his family, He's like, ah, my daughter will join in this ruse. There, she's going to be a bait for him, and I can trap him this time. He's, he's, he can't come out of battle again. And so Saul winds it up again. He says the same kind of things to David. It's kind of strange David believes him again, but Saul says the same kind of exciting things, and, and the servants go and talk to him. And David's like, ah, again, who am I that I should be the son-in-law to the king? Again, Michael probably would have preferred something that also talked about her. 
But David is just thinking about becoming a part of the royal family. And he says, sure. Another really weird thing in this story is what he has to show as bounty that he has killed all of these people in the story. He kills the enemies and he takes some parts of their bodies as proof. And there's a hundred people that he has to kill. And that is, I think, meant to show you the proportions of the fact that he's risking his life a hundred times over. Uh, and yet he keeps being victorious. And so he keeps coming back and saying, hey, I've done what you've asked. And eventually Saul has to kind of be like, okay, fine. And I wonder how much Michael being really interested in this contributed to that, that she's like, hey, he did what you asked, Dad. When are we getting married? So they actually do get to get married in the story. And so Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, as a wife. But then Saul realized, and it's like that tragic moment for characters when they realize that their plans have backfired on them. Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that Saul's daughter, Michael, loved him. So Saul was still more afraid of David. And Saul was David's enemy from that time forward. And so this relationship love game that Saul played backfired on him because now David is a part of the family. Not only that, your daughter loves this guy that you can't stand. You tried to play a game here. Guess what? You get to reap the reward of it. Your daughter loves this guy that you hate, this guy that has now become your enemy. And that's, again, not a great way to start off marriage. Uh, going into a marriage where the, the father-in-law and son-in-law, they, they are at odds with one another. Also, where one of them might not fully understand that they're at odds with one another. Where the, the father-in-law hopes that the son-in-law might just die. And all the while, Michael's just like, hey, I kind of love this guy. Like, I'm, I'm up for this. If anybody else is okay with it, I, I love this guy. And this is an unusual struggle of a relationship. Uh, you could imagine that this situation does not lead to a lot of healthy outcomes. You know, if you start in the midst of this family dynamic, uh, when there's somebody that really despises your spouse, like that, that makes it hard to have a healthy relationship. When, when somebody's actively trying to undercut, actively trying to create tests to see if somebody's worthy or not, uh, it, it's just an unhealthy situation. And so the story doesn't last long in this place. In the very next chapter, it says Saul decides he wants to kill David. He actually starts throwing some spears, so he can't hold it in anymore. He starts coming for, for David, and they make a plan that they're going to kill David in the morning. And Michael finds out, presumably. Uh, Michael is not seen to be disloyal. She, they think she's just going to side with her dad. And so Michael finds out that they're planning on killing her husband, and she tells him and helps him escape, get out the window. And it's really funny. She takes some idol. I don't know where this idol was supposedly at, and I don't know why it was nearby, but she takes an idol, puts it in the bed. They wrap it with some like hair and fur and put it under the blanket or whatever to make it look like David's asleep in the bed. And so the guards come, and she's like, oh, he's still sleeping. You know, just, can, you, can you give us some time? And so the guards eventually are told, just go in and check on him. And they go in and they find this idol, and they realize that Michael has helped betray them and that David is running off to survive. And when they ask her, why would you do this thing? She says, well, David was going to kill me. He would have killed me if I hadn't let him out. 
which is the first place where maybe she's kind of letting on that she understands this dynamic's not super great, and she's not going to push her father away and decides, I'll play this one safe, I'll play this one easy, and I'll say, oh, I didn't want to let him escape you. Uh, I had no choice. And so the relationship then is kind of spread apart. It's a, it's a distant one. We don't really get them together much later in the story. Uh, as you might know from David's story, he spent a lot of time away from uh, Saul, on the run, fleeing, trying to survive. He has moments where he could take Saul's life and he chooses not to. And at some point in that story, he sends word to Saul's, one of Saul's sons and says, hey, I would like my wife, Michael, brought back to me. Complication to the story. For some reason, she's been married off again while they've been apart. As this just relationship continues to be unusual and challenging, and so they go to get Michael. She's married. She has a husband. And uh, let me pull up his name here. She has a husband. Um, let me see what, because I really think that this is actually worth uh, reading here. I'll go to 1 Samuel 18 for you. All right. Actually, it's all the way in 2 Samuel. That's how far we've moved here. 2 Samuel 3. That helps to get in the right spot here. 2 Samuel 3. Uh, Give me my wife, Michael, to whom I became engaged, the price of 100 foreskins of the Philistines. Ishbal sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish, but her husband went with her, weeping as he walked behind her all the way to Bahurim, and then Abner said to him, go back home. And so he went back. This is like really an interesting, like endearing and also sad moment. Like they've been split apart. She's been married to someone else. Her new spouse is trying to follow her as far as he can. And is weeping, is crying. He cares for Michael. And they have to tell him, just go home. And he he goes home sad. And so David and Michael are are reunited. We don't get much about that relationship until a famous other moment. uh, That they are back into the city of David. David has conquered in the kind of the Jerusalem area. They had kept the Ark of the Covenant outside of the city. They were afraid of moving it because somebody had touched it and died. And David then sees that where the Ark of the Covenant was left, that land got prosperous. And they're like, okay, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city then. And so they, they bring the ark in. David's going in front of it. He's wearing something unusual. The text says he was girded with a, a, a linen ephod. Let's just say that he's probably not well clothed. He's probably not covered very well. He's, he's not wearing very much clothes, and he's dancing and moving around. And it says that Michael sees him dancing around, kind of showing himself off, and becomes really angry becomes really frustrated. And so she, she turns to, to David when he returns, and she tells him how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. So here's Michael. She's had this long, winding road to getting to this place She's married to David. She sees him coming out of the distance. He's with crowds of people. 
And he's just kind of showing his body, I guess, in some ways as he's dancing around. And note who she's kind of not happy that sees him this way. All of the maids could see you. She's jealous. She, she actually, it seems throughout the story that she does love David, that she does care about David, and that she also feels hurt in this situation. Like, how dare you? Like, why are you dancing around like that? And David responds, It was before the Lord who chose me in the place of your father and all his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, that I have danced before the Lord. Anybody that's been in a relationship that's gotten a fight think that language probably went over very well? What were you doing dancing like that? Did you see all the women around? What, what's going on? Well, you know who I was dancing before? God. The God who picked me, not your dad. And he goes on and says, I will, uh, I will uh, make myself yet more contemptible than this. Again, if you're in the midst of a fight, you think that was bad. I'm going to be even more contemptible. And I will be abased in my own eyes, but by the maids of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. If you're worried about all of their opinion, they think they're going to look down on me. Actually, they're going to think I'm pretty cool. They're going to, they're going to revere me. They're going to love me. They're going to honor me. Lessons from the worst dating advice in the Bible. <laughs> these are pretty real relationships. I know some of these things feel caricatured of like, you know, the, the bounty and the war and, and bringing the offerings and stuff. But in the midst of this is just a relationship struggling. In the midst of it is a relationship that's struggling because of family dynamics, struggling because one person seems to love the other one in a different way. And David loves Michael back. And the text ends by saying, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Uh, I, I think, presumably, it's not, it doesn't say barrenness in the story. I think it's trying to imply that David and Michael pretty much stayed away from each other from that point. That the, the closeness, the proximity uh, stayed apart. And we know David's story. He's got tons of wives in this biblical text, and even though he has multiple wives, he still chooses to take wives of people that, that he shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be with. And somehow, David is also someone who we all revere in, in, in our tradition, right? That, oh, David, a man after God's own heart. And sometimes we, we act like people in the biblical text are saints, that they're like, like you know, the icons, you know, uh, but they're messed up people, just like we are. And so in the midst of this unhealthiness, I want to invite us just to think from a different character's point of view of like wherever you need to be and whatever relationships you're in today. If you think about Saul, uh, what is it to feel jealous? What is it to feel so jealous that you're trying to push people away, you're trying to hurt people? What is it to be so jealous that you want to give people tests that aren't actually tests? Like, if you just be honest, you're just trying to fail somebody. It's like, oh, let's just see if they're really actually good enough. But there's no good faith there. That we're just trying to, we're just trying to reject somebody. And so you say, oh, I'll try something out. 
but really you didn't have an openness to that experience. You didn't have an openness to that person. And all that you were hoping to do was just see somebody fail, see something fail. And so what is it to, to pray and reflect on when am I being like Saul? When am I insecure? When am I uh, trying to hold on to power, trying to hold on to things too tightly? When, when am I pushing people away because I, I just can't trust? I can't, I can't see what God's doing in somebody else's life? What is it to, to see that, to repent and say, hey God, I, I want to be more vulnerable to you. I want to be more open. Help me see this person in a new light. I'm going to have new eyes when I go into this experience and go into to meet this person. And it's not being so judgmental. It's not being so, so, venge, so vengeance and, and kind of hateful. But maybe today you might not resonate with Saul. Maybe you need to hear about what is it to be David in the story. Like, when do we lose sight of, of people? Maybe it's ambitions. Maybe it's status. Maybe you want a job. Maybe you want something so much that you don't think about every other person involved. Maybe you, you don't notice the Michael of the story who, who actually just cares about you. And you take it for granted. And so when do we need to have eyes to see uh, the people in our lives and stop just rushing towards the prestige or the power or the honor, the celebration, and just see the people in front of us? Maybe today, though, you're, you're like Michael, you feel like your love has gone unreturned. You feel like, I, I've done everything I could. I stepped in when I needed to. I, I've provided, I've cared, I've come a long way. I've left others behind. I've, I've done everything for this person, and yet I, where's the return on this? Where's the love back? Where's, why is this going you know, like it's talking to a wall? Nothing's happening here. And maybe for some people, uh, those relationships are our parent and child, sometimes it's spouses, sometimes it's co-workers or neighbors, or like whoever it is that you've, man, I've really tried to build a relationship here. And it just feels like you get burned and nothing ever happens, nothing ever comes to fruition. What is it to, to just trust and, and to follow God and, and, and just take your life and, and hope and that God loves you back, whether other people around you always return that? Because that's the beauty in the story is that thankfully God is not like all of the characters in the story. That God, though God in some per certain biblical text it talks about God being jealous and having these, these kind of emotions attached, God does not then strike out in rage and rage and try to just end us. Uh, so many stories like, like the flood stories are meant to kind of convey that to us that yes, it would be natural to think about God wanting to just wipe us out for all of our problems, but that's not how God is going to be. So what is it that God is not afraid of other people being lifted up and other people having uh, some celebration, but God can, can hold God's restraint more than someone like Saul? What is it that God does not want us to give us tests that he thinks we're going to fail just to make us fail? Right? That, that God, if God gives you any sort of test, God hopes that you succeed, God hopes that you you grow, that you develop, that you, you flower into who God has made you to be, as opposed to giving you tests saying, I really hope this person fails this day. What is it for God to, to not be like David, who, who has these ambitions and might overlook people, that, 
that God actually sees us, sees our struggles, so much of the biblical text of God hearing the cries of the slaves, God hearing uh, the cries of, of people in all sorts of distress, that Jesus can be on the cross and say, God, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And that instead of trying to lift yourself up, that God humbled himself and moved and lived and dwelt among us uh, because God loves us. And what is it for God to, uh, to be something like Michael in the story, but, but also not like Michael, that even though God loves us, we don't always return that love. And that God keeps coming, keeps bringing his love, keeps showing up. He's always like that prodigal son's father who's always at that doorstep ready to run out to meet us. And that whoever has let you down, God always will love you. And so I hope that in whatever relationships that you might be thinking about in your life, hopefully, uh, hopefully there, you've got some healthy, strong relationships that you're wanting to just praise God for. But if you've also got some ones that are difficult and cause you to, uh, to cry out for God to do something and to move, uh, maybe you might hear God's voice in the midst of this story today. No matter what, may you feel God's love and embrace, no matter what might be going on today for you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we, we thank you for your love, for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Lord, we know that there are times where we've uh, been lured away, where we've been enticed to disappear from your to try to disappear from your presence, to act like we can run away from you, like we could ever get any distance. And Lord, we thank you that you always embrace us, that you always love us, that you're always there for us. Lord, I ask that you would be with our with our minds, our spirits how we see ourselves in relationship to you. Uh, there's a temptation to see ourselves as the saint, as the perfect holy one, that, oh, we just follow you so great, aren't we so good? Lord, help us to, to realize where we come up short and where we still need to grow more into your image. But Lord, also for those who, who feel like we've messed it up too, too much, we've failed too often, we've hurt too many people, We've broken too many relationships. Uh, Lord, I ask that you might lift us up, that we might see who we are in you, and that we might be able to celebrate who you are and who, who you are making us into being. Lord, we thank you and praise your name.